Hello, you are listening to Deeply Curious. My name is Cody Jensen, and joining me in our New York City studio apartment is my wife, Sarah. Hello. This podcast is called Deeply Curious because we are just curious people. We tend to get deep about things. Yeah. And we find ourselves in conversations that start with, did you know, or I just thought of, or I I read this thing today. Mm -hmm. And then we end up talking about it for an hour. Yeah. I can't just have like a regular conversation, you know? (laughs) So we uh, throw a couple mics in between us. Yep. And we have those conversations. The Deeply Curious Podcast is brought to you by you, the members (laughs) of the Jensen AV Club. The Jensen AV Club was launched on last week's podcast if you made it all the way to the end. Yes. Thank you for listening. But if you were not with us last week and you don't know what the Jensen AV Club is, Jensen AV Club is our premium membership platform where you can get early access and exclusive content through our different tiers of involvement. You can be a crew member, a staff member, a associate producer, a producer, or a director. Mm-hmm. And each one of those levels gets you different uh, perks and different access to us and our additional content. If yep. you want to help us keep consumerism out of art and you want to help support the podcast that you love and the videos that you also love, <laughs> help support us at jensenav.club. Yes. So the Jensen AV Club members. Should we tell them AV stands for audio visual? Just FYI, in case you didn't know that. <laughs> in case you missed the junior high club. <laughs> yeah, it's the, the Jensen Audio Visual Club. This, yeah. You know, this is just our lunch table. Yeah. We just sit together at lunch and we talk about all the audio visual things because um, yeah, we're just all the weirdos out here, you know? <laughs> all the outsiders in, in school. <laughs> so thank you to all of our Jensen AV Club members. And if you want to become a part of the all-exclusive... <laughs> It's actually all-inclusive because anybody can join. Uh, To the (laughs) all-inclusive with exclusive content just for you. Yes. Head over to JensenAV.club. Thank you. Um, Something that got me deeply curious this week. Yes. Is hippos. Hippos? Yes. I saw something. I saw a video on, on the old Facebook. Okay. And it was of some hippos. Then I got thinking... How long can a hippo hold its breath? Oh. What video did you say? What? It was just a video of hippos. Oh, they weren't swimming or anything? Well, they were in the water. Oh, okay. Because hippos live in the water. Yeah. They're aquatic creatures, but they're mammals. And I was, so I was like, okay, this is weird. I never thought about this before. These are mammals that live in the water. Wait, they... Maybe I'm... I'm going to sound really stupid now because they live in the water for the most. Yeah. For most of their day, like it, they pretty much all of their most of their life is spent in shallow rivers. They live like oh. in the water. I don't think they're, I knew that. They're, they're essentially the aquatic rhinoceros. OK. But I, I was thinking, OK, these things are these are they're mammals. They're yeah. huge mammals. Massive. How, how long can they hold their breath? So I Googled it. Mm-hmm. First thing that pops up. San Diego Zoo with the answer. Hippos can hold their breath for about five minutes or longer. And I'm like, these, wait, what? These things live in the water and they can only hold their breath for about the same amount as a human. Mm -hmm. And then I 
I kept reading and learned not only can hippos who live in the water (laughs) (laughs) only hold their breath for five-ish minutes. I did find some conflicting information on the exact same San Diego page that said that some hippos can hold their breath up to 30 minutes, which is much better. Five and 30 is very different. But I guess it depends on how you read it because it says for five minutes or longer, so they're not lying in the one paragraph. But then in the quick facts on the side of the page, it also says adult males can or some adults can hold their breath up to 30 minutes so anyways regardless yeah five to 30 minutes as a you know man as a creature that lives in the water yeah it's not very long right especially the five minute side (laughs) (laughs) yeah but this is what even got me further is these hippos can't swim hippos cannot swim can't swim not only can they not swim they can't even float their body is too dense to so float. So that's why they only live in shallow rivers. So these creatures that live most of their days in the water can only hold their breath for about for five minutes or longer and can't float, can't swim. And this is the kicker too. They can't be out of the water too long because of the way that their skin is. They will completely dry out. And so I'm they, learning they have to live so in the much water. about hippos right now. The truth is, I thought they lived in, I knew they lived around like watering holes and stuff like that, like in the mud, you know, like they're always kind of caked in mud, right? Yeah, they're wallowers. Yeah. Um, because of their skin, I knew, I knew like that, but I, I just assumed it was, you know, like a hippo. Yeah. <laughs> like a, like a rhino, I guess, kind of. I didn't realize that they have to live in the water and also that they can't swim. Yeah, it's like most of all, all throughout. What do they do if there's not a shallow river around? I think they die. I don't know. That's insane. I, I mean, I only read the one San Diego Zoo page. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I got curious, you know, but. Not deeply curious. I mean, I, yeah, I was deeply curious for a good 10 minutes. That's <laughs> all it takes sometimes. Um, so I didn't further my research into all of the, of the questions, but yeah. it was just blowing my mind just thinking about, like they had, mm. They adapted to water life in the fact that their eyes and nostrils and ears are all on the very top of their head. Right. So they can be almost completely submerged and mm-hmm. still breathe and see and mm-hmm. hear. Right. But they have to bounce and up and down on the bottom of the riverbed. I have seen videos of that. Yeah. They like they said that they basically gallop on their tiptoes on the bottom of the riverbed. And then they can even sleep in the water because they've developed a um, reflex that when they're sleeping, they'll they'll automatically jump up, take so a breath. So they can develop a reflex to make sure they don't drown, but they can't learn how to swim? <laughs> I guess. Uh, that, it's just the, basically, it- basically what got me curious is that the hippo's evolutionary process does not seem in favor of the hippo. Yeah, adaptation is funny. <laughs> it, it adapted in some interesting ways. I mean, I it, su- it survived, which ultimately, I guess, is the goal of adaptation is to right. survive. And they're not endangered, so. They did know, it. They did it. But in such a, it, it reminds me a little like the platypus. It's like, right. how did this even happen? Yeah. <laughs> it's like, you just have to spend all your days in an environment of which you uh, will drown. Right. You can't swim. And if you're out of, of it, you will dry up and die. Yeah. So then you can only get out really at night whenever it's cool to go feed. That's insane. And they, they graze basically all night for like six hours. Really? Yeah. And because wow. they don't even, and not only that, 
but they are some of the most dangerous animals in the world. Right. And they're herbivores. Yeah. Wow. They graze, but yet they're so they're very very uh, aggressive. Yeah. Like stay away from my grass. <laughs> it's more stay away from my ass because they're you know protective of their lady friends. You know. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah, that's fascinating. Anything fascinate you this week? Not really. No. Hmm. I was just kind of living life, you know. You weren't scrolling the Facebook and see some. I was not scrolling the Facebook. Hippopotamuses? For some hippos. <laughs> no. Another thing that didn't necessarily get me uh, deeply curious, mm -hmm. but it did just ignite a, uh, a small soapbox in yeah. me. And, you know, a small one? Yeah, it's, it's a small one. <laughs> I'm not willing to die on this soapbox. Okay, okay, fair enough. But I'm willing to stand up there and, and let people know. Say some stuff. Yeah. <laughs> and I figure, you know what, this podcast... This is my soap. This is my. You can't. We can you can't say stop whatever we want. Uh, somebody commented on the video last week, the friends in town video, and because uh, there's a scene of me paying at a square register, mm -hmm. and I pressed no tip, and you could see that I pressed no tip because it's uh, the biggest button on the yeah. thing. And he said, um, "No tip?" Question mark. Um, we all know what button that is on the square register, um, and we were at. A counter service. This is place. a soapbox of yours, yes. Yeah. A place where you do not get waited on. Right. It you is, get your own drinks. It's basically a Chipotle for croissants, is where we were at. Yeah. And it, um, basically, I, <laughs> I just have such a problem <laughs> with, with the American tipping culture. Very much dislike the tipping culture. Although, to be fair, I don't love it. I feel like, it it perpetuates like underpaying people. Um, I mean, like the restaurant industry doesn't get paid minimum wage, and I think that's insane. Yeah, they get paid like I think their their dollar is like two something an hour, two dollars and something an hour, which yeah. is wild. They should pay be paid a fair price, and like also I'm totally fine with like upping the menu prices a couple dollars to like. Yeah make up for that because everywhere in Europe it's like that the menu it might be two dollars more per plate but there's no tip because they're actually paying their staff like a fair wage I feel like that is valid yeah so <laughs> I very am very much against American tipping culture I do tip just, very much we're good um, tippers I I do tip at a full service restaurant in which the wait staff, Mm -hmm. is not paid a fair wage and they rely on tips for their livelihood. Yes. I'm not going to, uh, not you know, tip. expect service there and, right. you know, not, uh, it, that, that's the way our, that's the way it's set up. Right. Would I prefer that the menu items were 20% more expensive so I know exactly how much I'm going to pay whenever the bill comes and not have to factor in paying, right. you know, five to $10 in tip on top of that? Yes. Right. Do I think that uh, wait staff should just be paid a fair wage? Yes. But my problem is that the expectation, the, the almost the pressure mm -hmm. that is put on people to tip at counter service restaurants that you pay for the thing before you receive any service. Yeah. You wait in line and you order something and then you pay. And then there you're, you're, 
I'm not saying there shouldn't like there isn't a tip option. Like if you just feel like right. I mean, there's. I mean, it's the same at like coffee shops, right? Like you tip your barista because you you enjoy like the product they give you or what you you know you just like want to be nice every once in a while or something and like hey, I appreciate you. Here's a tip. Not like every single time you go anywhere ever, you tip 20% on everything you purchase. Like it's completely different. Because those people are getting paid a fair wage. Right. And they applied for a job yeah. with a fair wage and were hired and given a job description mm-hmm. that they agreed to do for a certain amount of money. Right. They, <laughs> why then should they be tipped for doing the job that they were hired right. to do for the ways that a, they agreed to do it. it's not against the person. It's against – your problem is not with the people who are, like, working at the place. Right. It's with the tipping culture, the fact that you are obligated and pressured to tip at a place that is not a tip. That is not a full-service restaurant. Right. That's not, like, requiring a If a I want to leave a tip because I feel like this person went – Above and beyond right. the call of duty, above and beyond the job description that they agreed to do for a right. certain amount of money, then. Which we do. The, we leave tips when we feel that way. Then, you know, that that is what that is. I mean, that's yeah. that that is what a tip is. Right. If that's, it, that's the thing. If it is, is, if it's supposed to be, if I, if I am, you know, pressured, mm-hmm. if I'm societally pressured into tipping every single time that I order a coffee, Um, or order a burrito, or get a haircut, get a massage, then just put it on the menu price. Right. Because it's not being generous if I have to do it. Right. Or I'm being pressured to do it. Like if I'm being, if I'm being pressured, like if I'm pressing, you know, the $1 tip because I don't want to stand right in front of the person and press the no tip, then that's not me being generous. That's me being pressured into doing something that I don't even know if they deserve it yet. I literally just ordered. <laughs> yeah. It's like, what if, what if the coffee or the burrito or, you know, whatever, like happens and it's actually terrible. And mm-hmm. I'm like, what did I give them that dollar for? <laughs> I don't disagree with you. I think the tipping culture is interesting. And what's also interesting about that is you don't tip your, um, burrito artist at Chipotle. Right. It's just anything that's not full service. Yeah. If it is uh, fast casual. Yeah. Or just, you know, a coffee shop or whatever. Okay. Those counter service places that I'll, that's my soapbox. I'll leave it done. Okay. Haircuts and massages. Yeah. What? Yeah. I mean, you're already paying 80 to a hundred dollars. And then they want you to tip 20% on top of that. I fully understand the business model that a hairdresser will, you know, they they may be there as an entrepreneur and right. paying rent for their space, mm-hmm. or they could be actually hired by the place to, you know, do the haircut. So I fully understand, like, that there's different business models and all that type of stuff, but you're still getting you're still paying Mm -hmm. for a skill that somebody developed like not arguing against any of that stuff right it's more so the business model of that we're 50 to 150 dollars up front that you're like agreeing like oh i'm gonna do this and then the expectation to tip on top of that it's like how much money did you just make an hour right 
Yeah. Then massages are the, the same way mm-hmm. where I went to a massage here in New York City and afterward it was not even I mean I guess I could have walked out but it wasn't even an option mm-hmm. they like she literally said it's customary to leave a tip like we were paying and she said um, it's customary to leave a tip and we're like okay uh, I guess we'll do five dollars and she grabs a sign and drags it over in front of us and said um that i don't remember the exact wording it used but it said 20 percent is like minimum mm-hmm. um or whatever and this is a 100 dollar massage mm-hmm. and now i'm supposed now it just cost me 120 dollar to get a massage also if you're going to drag a sign in front of my face instead of speak to me and ask me for 20 extra dollars i feel like maybe you don't need the 20 dollars. like there's there's a, a certain um courtesy that should be extended when you're asking me for $20. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and dragging a sign in front of my face with a look on yours isn't exactly a courtesy. <laughs> but this whole thing, though, it, it, it has nothing to do with not being generous because I right. firmly believe in being firmly. a generous person and I love to be a generous person and I like to be giving. What I do not like is being pressured to do anything. Yeah, I I definitely don't believe in people telling me what I should and shouldn't be generous about. Yes. (laughs) I feel like I'm a generous person if you just let me be. Right. You know what I mean? Like, let me be generous and then you will get a tip. But if I like walked in, tell me to tip you. Yes. But if I walked in and the sign says that I can get this service for $45, right? That's the service that I want for $45. Right. It's like, I. Don't expect tips whenever I do services for people. Like if people right, hire you, me for a photo or for video or for design, any of that type of stuff, you that we agree them. to a price. Like I'm being paid this amount of money. Yeah. Like I'm. I don't. I'm not. I don't want you or expect you to tip me if you feel like my service was well above and beyond the agreed to you know right. price and time. And you know you wanted to be generous. I mean, I'm not going to tell you not to right but in no way would i ever expect that from somebody you're not gonna say like it's customary to tip me 20 (laughs) percent. i totally agree it's a weird culture i think i'm just not going to allow myself to be pressured into that and if that makes you think i'm not a generous person i'm sorry but like it's not the truth, yeah. so whatever. And I'm paying for a service, and I'm especially at the like counter service places. Like, I'm paying for the croissant that you are literally handing me right at the counter. Yes. You're not bringing it to my table, right? You're handing it to me across the counter. I'm getting my own water. I'm getting my own whatever's like. And you're getting paid a fair wage. Yeah, and you're getting paid an actual wage. So. <laughs> You know, if I love the croissant enough, maybe I'll leave you some money when I like it's just not. It doesn't make sense to me to tip in that scenario, you know, I do know you do know (laughs) you're right. Anyway, Um, I feel like that probably um, ruffled some feathers. Probably. It's not a very uh, (laughs) it's a hot take. Yeah, (laughs) it's a Cody hot take. And you know what? I stand by it. It's probably not something that most people are going to talk about. (laughs) I've just thought about it for so long. Like, it's the one 
that's probably the my favorite the first time we went to europe that was mm-hmm. my favorite thing about everywhere we went in europe was that you didn't have to tip it was already included in the price it just not only was it included in the price of like full service sit down restaurants it mm-hmm. was like there wasn't an option to tip right you know it was like in norway they were like oh it's 12 whatever norway dollars are mm-hmm. <laughs> i don't know what it was they like use. yeah norway is like 1200 whatever yeah you know. it's it's like more expensive for a meal but we didn't have to tip so it actually ended up being either the same or a little bit less than and they include what uh, we spend that, here you know and this extends over to sales tax as well yeah that, just put it in the price oh man i that would make my heart so happy if it wasn't like um your entree price your drink price your alcohol tax your sales tax your tip price like just put it all together please i don't care what it is just put it together so i don't have to do the math america sucks <laughs> it really does and i mean i think i think maybe it all comes down to psychology and the fact that they're pricing it that you know if if the item you know is 13.50 or whatever yeah. That you're way more likely to order it than if it said $16 if it included the tip and the, you know, tax and all that right. type of stuff. But if Which the, might be true, I don't know. Well, the problem is that it would take a uh, entire societal shift mm-hmm. to make it happen because basically nobody wants to be the first. Right. Like if this restaurant does it and you go in there and you're like, 16 bucks, this is a crazy. Mm-hmm. This is so expensive. But it's be, you don't because you don't actually think there are think a couple about, like, restaurants here now. There are in America yeah. that are doing no tipping, no tipping, no like tax, like is yeah, in the price, it's all, all the type in of the stuff. menu price. Yeah, but for a grand change, right? It would basically take uh, I would think a policy change mm-hmm. because um, there is no like American Restaurant Union um, where they're all coming together to say, "Hey, let's all do this together." Yeah, there de- there definitely isn't that. <laughs> I mean, there might be some sort of restaurant union, but uh, not to the extent of which we would take to uh, yeah. make that happen. Yeah. Well, anyways, we apologize if we offended you about our I don't. opinions on tipping. <laughs> 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 on hey, tipping culture, not on tipping. On tipping culture. I, th- that's another thing. <laughs> oh, no. I got him on another soapbox, I think. <laughs> I reserve the right to be wrong. Zadie Smith. You know, listen, um, Zadie Smith said that and it is my new favorite thing that I've ever heard. Um, she said it specifically in regards to social media and outrage culture and how we don't allow people to like say something and then learn and grow and like become a different person. We just ostracize them for the thing they said 10 years ago or whatever. And I think that is maybe the most brilliant thing anybody's ever said. (laughs) Because honestly, like, you should be okay with being wrong or whatever, because how else are you going to, like, learn that you were wrong? You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like, just don't be, like, an idiot. Don't be rude and, (laughs) like, mean to other people. But, like, you have a right to be wrong. Also... You have a right to, like, learn from the wrong. Right. You know what I mean? Like, you have a a right to learn and grow from that. You can't learn and grow from that unless you are okay with being wrong. Yeah. It's so silly to – 
I guess like to always feel like you have to tiptoe around everything because you might yeah. like offend somebody. Well, in today's. But that's the thing is like it is scary in today's like world. Yeah, because that's to, like, literally to, what it is. Basically, it's scary to have strong opinions. Yeah. Because I can have opinions that are wrong um, or they're opinions that are wrong for you. I would say also the majority of the time, um, especially with like small things like tipping culture and your like qualms about it. And the fact that this is my problem with tipping culture and I don't take it out on the employees right and you know say well i'm against american tipping culture so you don't get no tip right you know it's not about that it's yeah. like i give them the tip because that's the, the right thing to do right but it doesn't mean that i have to be happy about it <laughs> yeah but it's like that is on the scale of things very small right yeah. but it's a thing that would like literally start fights yeah which is kind of crazy. Just like it's just a differing opinion about something that is inconsequential and doesn't really matter, but it would start fights, mm -hmm. which is wild. I think that that one of those, I think that is part of the problem of the divisive, divisive culture mm -hmm. that we're in now is that nobody is willing to listen to viewpoints and opinions that are different from theirs mm -hmm. it's like even with something as silly as, as what the things we just talked about is like there could be somebody who turned this podcast off already mm -hmm. because they disagreed with what we're saying right and if you are only ever listening to things that you agree with mm -hmm. then you will never grow you will never change and you could be living your life inside this reality distortion field mm -hmm. that you have no idea that you're in because yeah. you never listen to anybody else. Totally. I think that goes back into just the conversation we had a couple podcasts ago uh, about like, what does it even mean to be curious, mm -hmm. right? Like if you're not listening to other people's opinions and not just listening to other people's opinions, but really just like accepting them, even if you don't agree, and just be like, oh, yeah, cool. I can see how you see that. Or, um, yeah, you're entitled to that opinion, right? Like, mm -hmm. if you're not willing to do that, I, I mean, y you are living in a reality distortion bubble. You are, like, enclosing yourself into, like, a very, a much, much smaller world um, and not giving yourself the freedom to, like, learn things, which right. is crazy to me. Like, just, like... Even learning the fact that like other people are entitled to their opinion, other people are entitled to being wrong is is huge. Like if you can really learn and accept like how to accept other people, even if you feel like they're wrong, mm -hmm. like your whole world is, is just going to expand, you know? Also, there are letting people be wrong is basically if an opinion has no effect on your life right then why do you care like yeah. why let it you know give, take you to the point of anger like yeah. life i this i think that life is too short to be wrapped up in anger and negativity and drama 
Well, everybody and, would say that probably, but it's right. harder it, to do. And and the people who and the people who yell that they hate drama the loudest are typically the people who you know revel in they drama. Seek out the drama. But the point is, like, if these things don't affect your life, then basically live and let live. Yeah, let it go. There's the there's eight billion. But tipping affects my life. <laughs> there are mm. eight billion experiences on this planet there are eight billion realities and it is insane of you to think that yours is any better or whatever than the next person's yeah that you know kind of I mean? reminds me of a quote that i just posted on uh twitter it came from the four hour work week it, well i found it, it was it was a quote in the four hour work week oh but it a, wasn't yeah. a quote by yeah, timothy Ferris. Right, exactly gotcha. Um, and, uh, I'll paraphrase cause I don't remember word for word, but essentially it was, uh, many Americans are surprised to find that even with all of the progress that has been made over the last 30 years, that people in foreign countries still speak foreign languages. <laughs> yeah, it's true. We're so entitled in America, but it's true. I think like just stepping back and remembering that there are, <clears throat> 8 billion different experiences happening on this earth and that one of those experiences is bound to lead somebody to a different conclusion than you (laughs) (laughs) is like, you know, something probably worth remembering. It keeps you humble and it keeps you uh, kind, Mm -hmm. you know? I also think like I hold a lot of strong opinions. Yeah. But I also hold my strong opinions loosely right like you can be convinced of uh the opposite point of view like i will if they have a better argument right it's like there are obviously uh cornerstones of my life that like those are the core truths that you will not let go of i will not let go of or it it would take a wrecking ball you know to actually you know uproot those but those metaphors were a bit mixed um (laughs) (laughs) uh, but it would be as far as like you know having a strong opinion about like tipping culture it's like if and not being able to be swayed from that like that's just something silly yeah you know i mean like i i hold a very strong opinion against it like i it right um very much riles me yeah like i do i hate it um but if somebody else like had a very good point that i would be like oh that's cool yeah that's my new strong opinion i I never thought about that yeah yeah but i would never know that if i didn't surround myself with voices that you know may be different than mine right or actually it's not even surrounding yourself with voice it's being willing to listen to others Mm -hmm. it's very much that like i i think that there is obviously value in like speaking like your own truth and whatever you want to say, like in speaking out and sharing your experience and your story. But I think the most valuable is just sitting and listening to others because you, I mean, we are so stuck in our own heads. Like we literally can't know anything other than our own experience. And so when you're not um, like, intaking somebody else's experience um you're missing out on so much life that like you'll never get to experience you know what i mean and like 
I, I just think that there's so much more value in listening and we do not know how to listen. Right. Like there's a quote and I can't remember who said it is like Kurt Vonnegut or Charles Bukowski or somebody who like that, who's very like blunt. And, um, it talks about how like most people don't listen. They just wait for their turn to talk. Mm-hmm. And it's so true. Like, and you can tell when you're having those conversations with people, when you're trying to like connect on some level and all they're doing is like waiting for you to finish your sentence so that they can talk about something that has nothing to do with anything you just said. Right. You know, that's all we know how to do. And so I think learning how to listen um, is, again, back to that podcast we talked about, yeah. what does it mean to be curious? Learning how to listen is how to be curious. Right. You know? That was... I was tracking with you. Mm. Uh, that was literally the sentence that oh, like, really? brought to mind. Like, yeah. yeah, learning to listen is learning to be curious. Yeah, because we we just don't listen to people. And you can learn so much by just actively listening. Actively listening is the key. Mm-hmm. Not just like passively listening. Not just listening so that you look like you're being polite. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know? Actively yeah. listening and engaging in that conversation with somebody. Yeah. I, and also like maybe the, I guess what I was thinking is your personal opinions and your thoughts and things, the, that is your specific expression of the human existence. Yes, and it should be shared. And in the same way that somebody else has, they through their own life experiences and through the things that they have been through, they now have opinions and other things that make up their expression of the human experience. And so it doesn't make any of those things right or wrong. Yeah, or better or worse. It just makes them different. Mm -hmm. And I, I think that that is one of the core pillars of, I think, every conversation that we have is truly just looking for what those things are for you um you know find be self-awareness yeah um just figuring out <laughs> we should just rename this to, yeah. to the self-awareness podcast yes, exactly <laughs> um just becoming self-aware in the things that are negative and positive like right what, what becoming self-aware in the things that you that you personally you find fulfillment in and designing your life around that so that your success becomes your success because it is actually fulfilling to you, not because it fits in some societal idea of what success should be. Right. In the same way of being self-aware to realize, oh, I have been a complete jerk for the last three years. Right. And I never saw it. Let me go and apologize. Yes. And you like become like, you 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 realize these things, you become a better human and you just become... Just your expression of what it is to be a human mm-hmm. just increased. Like it just has, yeah. it has is more flourish. Yeah, that, that expression has a, has a has a brighter scent now. Yeah, I also think um, like surrounding yourself with people who it, it's kind of a a balance, a, a delicate balance. I think in finding people who are like minded enough, but are also different enough. Yeah, I, th- I think it's about building trust. Maybe, maybe that's it. Because we have a lot of close, dear friends. Um, but 
we yes we do share a lot of like-mindedness like we have built our relationship on right basically core core values right. and beliefs um, and just things that overlap that we are all interested in yeah but we're all like in different ways we have all of these different opinions and different things and we will have these conversations sitting across the table like we are right now just talking about stuff that we agree and disagree with right you know and it is it it doesn't turn into some sort of like fight because it is built on trust and having a discussion mm -hmm. and building each other up into ultimately um f finding who you are i guess or yeah i, I think i'm not sure what to say there yeah the so i think probably the most important thing for me in like self-discovery and self-awareness and stuff like that has been surrounding myself with people who view it differently than me mm -hmm. and like um, cause I think, I mean, well, I was going to say, I think I know myself pretty well, but then sometimes I don't think I know myself at all. So I don't really know if that's true. <laughs> um, but I, I think that I, on some level, I feel like I can figure it out on my own. Right. And like, I'm a capable individual who is like, you know, sometimes capable of being an adult and all of that stuff. But like when I sit down with a friend and I tell them the situation, they, they're like, oh, well, did you think about it like this? I'm like, no. <laughs> Why would I think about it like that? Because I am only me, mm -hmm. you know? And so like um, having those opinions that they may approach, it's kind of like you and me, like we, we come to the same conclusion all the time, but from different angles. Mm -hmm. And so I think that's, that's what I'm trying to say is like finding people who approach life differently, but at the core, yeah, you have the same goal in mind. Right. I feel like has been the most uh, beneficial for me. Because mm -hmm. like even as self-aware as I am, I feel like I'm pretty self-aware. I'm definitely self-aware of like my negative traits, yeah. you know. Um, but even as self-aware as I am, I'm still in my own head. Like I, I can only know my experience. So it's it is really, really um important to have those other experiences. Yeah. And those yeah, to, to have those other experiences surrounding you. And yeah. Um and finding finding that trust. Mm -hmm. I, I I just don't even know like who I would be without like that trust mm -hmm. you know it's 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 game changing yeah yeah and i think what you're saying is like you're you, the relationship is built on certain core values and and basically i think that it needs to generally be built on that you you believe the meaning of life like is generally you know the same like yeah like I as far as if one person in you know in this conversation like in this in this dialogue if one person is looking at it through a lens that making money is the ultimate solution and there's no greater thing in life than to make more money than anybody else mm -hmm. and you're a person who believes that money is only a means to an end and that relationships and experiences are ultimately what brings riches richness and fullness to life it's almost impossible for not that you can't learn from each other 
Right. But more so if you're saying like, you know, you're, you've been thinking about this, you're having this problem or whatever. And they're like, the, the person that would have a completely different, um, core, you know, core, like what they believe that the outcome should be is going to have completely different advice for That's true. who they think that you should be like, well, then just go get a full-time job because that, then you need to need to make money. Like go get a, go work in this job for 30 years, working your way up or, you know, whatever their advice would be, would be something that doesn't take who you are into account. Mm-hmm. It only takes into account what they think the true meaning of, of life is. It's really funny that you use that as an example because literally my mind didn't even go to something um, monetary. Mm-hmm. Like like a, that – I just only ever think about people is what I'm saying, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> I never like – even that because i was like well yeah because what else do you do like what else do you do you value obviously other things mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah i think yeah i don't even know how we got on this <laughs> <laughs> what is something that you have a strong opinion on something i have a strong opinion on mm-hmm. that may not be uh, a popular opinion hmm Wow, this is a hard question out of the blue. Let me think. I mean, I know one. I think I've shared it before, though. But off the top of my head, I think I can be a little snobbish um, when it comes to art. (laughs) (laughs) When it comes to, um, you know what, though? I'm not snobbish about movies. I'll watch the worst movie. I don't I don't even care. It can be 2% Rotten Tomatoes and I'll watch it. Well, 13% Rotten Tomatoes. <laughs> <laughs> you know? It, if, if it's a rom-com, I'll watch it. I don't really care. Um, however, I do really, really highly regard like the indie movies. Like those are, I consider those art. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Not the big blockbusters, even though they are. I wouldn't, I don't call them art. I call them movies. <laughs> and then I call like, um, call me by your name. I would call that art, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know. Um, but mostly in like books, I'm very, I can be kind of snobbish. Um, for the longest time, I hated Twilight. I refused to call it literature. I was very like, I can just be kind of, um, put off by anything that is like mass popular Mm -hmm. i guess is the thing like if everybody loves it i hate it that's just the truth (laughs) i i kind of get that way well that's the core tenet of being a hipster like you are i'm not see (laughs) (laughs) even that like really gets me i'm not a hipster i just i just only hipster would get that angry about being called a hipster no (laughs) Mm. <laughs> you know what my strong soapbox is <laughs> is that it's impossible to argue with you <laughs> but that is neither here nor there i i can be um a little pretentious i guess you would say about art and in particular literature if um here's a good example if Every book person, every book list, every um, Goodreads list, whatever it is, if it has the same book, if I keep seeing the same book 
over and over and over and over and over again, mass fiction, I don't read it. <laughs> <laughs> like uh, Girl on the Train is a good example. I'm sure it's a fantastic book. I never have read that author. I'm not judging it. I have no desire to read it. <laughs> <laughs> Only because <laughs> so it was just everywhere. And it bothers me because there are so many other books out there that I feel like will teach you something important that nobody is talking about, you know? So I kind of, um, I think that's probably one of my things is like anything that is mass popular, I'm kind of like not into. <laughs> but what if that thing that is mass popular gets people to actually read who had I never know, read which before? which is why I have been working on this for the last ever since Twilight came out because um, I do believe that it doesn't matter what you're reading as long as you're reading ish. <laughs> um, I mean, I can't say that with full confidence because I, there are certain genres mm -hmm. in literature that I don't agree with that I think, I mean, I'm not going to say are trash, but like uh, that I think, well, what do you mean by don't agree with? Don't, I think they're just, um, oh, what's the word? I think they're just. Smut. No. Oh, well, yes. That's specifically what I'm talking about is that genre. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I, I think they're just kind of um, not enriching. Mm -hmm. And they're not teaching you something. They're just like perpetuating a fantasy for you and that's not the point of reading the point of reading is like empathy and growth and all these romantic ideas about reading right and and i do think that there is a place for entertainment and for escape that is how far i have come i don't think i again used to be very pretentious and i i don't think that you have to read a fiction book that's really deep and like gives you all the feelings all the time because I understand other people aren't like me. I want that. I I want something to like break my heart in the best way possible. I understand that like some people don't appreciate that. <laughs> um, so I've come- Looking at you, Enneagram 7s. <laughs> yeah. I have come a long way in what I consider literature or whatever. But- I do still have my cutoffs that I, I won't, you know, I, I won't go past it. I just can't. I can't. I don't. I'm sorry. Fifty Shades of Grey is not good. It's it's awful writing. No offense. Uh, what's her name? Whoever wrote it. E.L. James. E.L. James. I'm really sorry. I, but I just it's not great writing. And I feel like, you know, there's a difference between like entertainment and just crap. Mm -hmm. <laughs> That's all. So that is a that is a strong opinion I hold is uh what I consider art. <laughs> <laughs> I do apologize to anybody who thought I was a nice person. <laughs> uh, although to be fair, if somebody is really really just tearing something apart, I tend to defend it. Tearing up my heart when I'm with you. Isn't that true? Yeah. Tell everybody that I'm a nice person. I mean, yeah, to everybody but me. Yeah. If somebody is really tearing apart, even something I dislike, 
That's the truth. Oh, here's a good example. The Shape of Water, the mm-hmm. movie. Um, you liked it. You took me to see it. I didn't like it, but I, I like, didn't really know why. I, you know, like, I didn't have mm-hmm. all these, like, necessarily articulate thoughts Well, you're just not it. into bestiality as much as I am. Right, yeah. yeah. Um, one of our friends hated it. And he, he was like ripping it apart. Well, that's because a dolphin broke his heart one time. <laughs> okay. Anyway. Really couldn't. He you know. hated it and was kind of ripping it apart and like made a joke. I I defended it in, it was in a text message and I defended it for like a sentence, even though I didn't like the movie. Right. I defended it. I was like, well, I mean, I don't think that's very fair to say. Yeah. And he was like, oh, I'm sorry. I didn't know you liked kitschy directors or something mm-hmm. like that. And I and then I was like, okay, hold on. <laughs> We're fighting now. I was like, first of all, I did not like that movie. <laughs> Second of all, <laughs> just because you don't like it doesn't mean it wasn't enjoyable to somebody else. Doesn't mean it didn't give somebody else some insight that they needed. I went on this whole thing. Mm-hmm. And he was like, I know, I know, I understand what you're defending. But it's like, I didn't even like the movie right. and I defended you it. Have, you just have a very, very strong opinion about criticism. Yeah. You are you are the most critical about criticism. That's true. But I can also be critical about things. Sometimes. Yeah. Depends. Right. I'm confusing. That's what I'm saying. Well, yeah. It, if it meets your critical standard of what art is, even if you don't like it, yeah. then you are very critical about people being critical about it. Yeah. I also like to defend an underdog. Yeah. I feel like everybody has their, again, right to their opinion, right to be wrong if you want. Like, I mean, it all goes back to that, uh, the quote about art that we've said on this podcast like 19 times. Uh, <laughs> that, that great art um, disturbs yeah. the comfortable and comforts the disturbed. Yes. And you're okay. Like, you're okay with that. Like, Absolutely. basically, that you, sometimes you won't like it, but it doesn't mean it's not great art. Yeah. Well, I think, actually, that reminds me of another quote that is very much along the same lines this i don't know who it's by but this her son she he watched a ballet or something and she asked him when it was over like how did you like it and he said it's very beautiful but it's not for me and i think like if we can just realize that yeah i I think the what he said was um it's beautiful but i don't like it yeah something like that um i think that is the right way to approach everything. It's very beautiful, but I don't like it. Or I don't like it, but I can see why. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like there there are so, again, there are 8 billion realities and 8 billion experiences, and there are going to be 8 billion opinions on something. Um, so I think, yeah, that's where I'm at. Yeah, you know? I was listening to a podcast this week, and there was this guy who was talking about poetry and he, how he he himself used to be a writer, an artist. I don't remember exactly what medium of art he dabbled in, um, but he himself was pursuing the arts and he loved poetry and he basically had the same kind of strong opinions against criticism that you do. Mm-hmm. And he gave the example of uh, talking about this, this one spe- spe- specific poem and he it, it was recited and it was all like, you know, this you know, prose and poetry and, and it was just yeah. beautiful, beautifully written and heartbreaking. And he was like, I cannot read that poem without tearing up, without crying. But as if you were to say, what's that poem about? And, you know, you say it's about somebody losing a loved one and, and the heartbreak that comes with that. It's like, 
well, that doesn't do anything for me. Like, right. like reducing the art down to a critical review mm-hmm. does nothing for the art mm-hmm. if not take away from it. Totally. That reminds me of, um, first of all, that's the point of art. It is to make you feel something without realizing, right? Like that the point of art is, is that like it speaks to something that you didn't know you needed spoken to, mm-hmm. right? And um, there's this quote by somebody. I know lots of quotes, sometimes can't remember where they're from. Rule of thumb, if, if, if you can't remember who it's from, it's because you invented it. <laughs> Michael, Abe yeah. Lincoln, Michael Scott. Yes. <laughs> um, I wish I could remember exactly who wrote it so I could look it up because I'm, I don't remember the words exactly, but it basically says um, specifically about fiction. Um, it says like, because you know, oh, this might be another strong opinion I hold <laughs> actually, is that... Um, I get really irritated when people tell me, I just feel like if I'm going to read, I should be learning something. Mm. So mostly I read nonfiction. I think I keep a straight face when somebody says that to my face. Mm. But inside, I'm just like raging. I'm laughing because I've heard you rant about this so much. That is a strong opinion I hold because I feel like, well, actually, let me just tell you the quote and it'll tell you what I feel like. (laughs) Um, The quote says something along the lines of... um, Fiction is forgetting at the truth when we can't handle the truth, Hmm. when our hearts can't handle the truth. And that's literally what fiction does. Fiction teaches you without you realizing because your brain is in a different space. It's turned off. It's it's in a story. It's in art. And that is when you're moved. And I think my opinion is that fiction teaches you way more than nonfiction ever will. I love nonfiction. I read it all the time. Do I not? But you do. I do. But it will not ever teach you what fiction can teach you. That's my strong opinion. (laughs) (laughs) But I think like that's the point of art is that like it gets at the truth of your heart when your heart really can't handle the truth. And um, Sarah Jensen. (laughs) Yeah. And um, the same like that guy was saying about poetry criticism. Mm -hmm. It's like it kind of ruins the poem when you know the specifics because like it's all about the mystery Mm -hmm. you know it's all it's all about like the um inside world and like not being able to actually articulate what's happening in your heart you know that's what it's all about and criticism ruins that i'm not saying that criticism doesn't have its place necessarily i think like i don't want to be a critic (laughs) like i'm not interested in that Mm um but i'm not i don't I think it probably has its place, just like I'm not, I don't want to be a part of it, you know? It, it ruins the mystery, and all I care about is mystery, so. Yeah. I almost wonder if there should be a different definition of criticism and, like. I know, because you, you know call I mean? it reading critically. Yeah. Um, When you're, like, studying, like, a text, like a fiction or not even, but like you're studying an, a text, a literature. Right. They call it reading critically. Um, but it's not necessarily critical. Yeah, like there's a difference between consuming Maybe it's just a different. And being a critic or something. Different definitions. Being critical. Yeah. Yeah. Whether you like it or not, you are critical. Yes, I am. I mean, that's the whole reason that you think that 50 shades of gray is crap is because you are critical right like 
I know I'm critical. So it's kind of like where is it um, just ironic, you know, that you're both or is it that it's two different things? Mm, I'm inclined to say it's ironic that I'm both. Isn't it ironic? Don't you think? Um, only because I really do have a lot of conflicting opinions about it, about a lot of things. So it like seems like more along the lines of me mm-hmm. is that, well, <laughs> I'm both obviously. Um, but I don't know. Maybe it's just the definition. But I even like on, um, like on Instagram, I post like books that I've read and I rate them like mm-hmm. out of five, you know, and I've just decided that. There's no point in me even rating things because I only share the things that I love and like I'm going to rate everything five out of five stars mm-hmm. like because <laughs> I I am enthusiastic about what I love. Right. And then the things that I don't love so much, I just don't, don't share. Don't talk about yeah. it, you know, so and and like I'll have a conversation if somebody asks me specifically, but I try really hard not to be like critical because mm-hmm. I don't want to um infringe on somebody else's enjoyment right i guess yeah because it's almost like just because i thought this was a two-star book right doesn't mean that this person would think it's a two-star book right and if i share that it's a two-star book it may discourage them from reading it and actually receiving the message that they need to hear yeah exactly i don't i don't really want to like diminish somebody else's enjoyment or somebody else's like excitement for something um but I also that I don't love everything either, you know, I, I just am only sharing the things that I love, you know? Yeah. I don't know. I But I do think I would make a terrible critic because I because I can see a lot of different sides of things, even, for example, Shape of Water. Like I can see why people thought it was beautiful and poetic and whatever. And so like even though. I didn't love it. Like, I'm not going to be super critical about it because I can see why somebody else would. You know what I mean? So, like, I don't think I'd make a very good critic either because I'd be like, well, yeah, I mean, I think this was a little whatever, but I can also see that, you know, Mm -hmm. I, like, defend and criticize at the same time. I'm not good at being a critic. Maybe that would actually mean that you would be a great critic. You'd be a a Mm. different voice among the cynics. Maybe. Maybe that's the difference, critical versus cynical. I don't know. It could be. Um, another strong opinion that I have that that just uh, came about from listening to you um, actively. Um, uh, okay. I'm <laughs> nervous. No, just one of the things that you said was talking about um, E.L. James and saying, like, oh. I'm sorry, but it's crap. Yeah. My, I have such a, a strong opinion about that phrase in general. I'm sorry, but you do have a strong opinion. You about are not that. sorry if you continue talking after you say I'm sorry. Well, yes, you are correct. However, I would like to defend a little bit and say I'm not sorry for what I'm saying. I'm sorry for how you feel about it. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like, I'm sorry if I'm offending you, but this is my opinion is kind of what I'm saying. But if you were actually sorry about offending me, you just wouldn't offend me. No, because I don't think that's the way to um, conduct But life. the thing is, 
if you're saying that, then you are essentially saying, I know this is going to offend you, and I'm sorry about that, but well, versus changing the way you are saying things, approaching the, that language in a different way to share your opinion, but sharing it in a way that will be received instead of being offensive. Because nobody oh, is- Oh, yeah. At, I would never look at somebody who enjoyed Fifty Shades and say, that was crap. I would, I would never do that. Right. You would just um, go behind their back and no, say- No, I would not. I would say like, okay. Okay. And then you would leave and you would call me and you'd be like, can you believe that that person <laughs> likes Fifty Shades of Grey? I thought so much more of them. No, I, I would I thought they not. were a better person than that. I would like for you to retract that statement because- I thought that they regarded art- Oh my God. Much higher than they do. We've just lost all of our podcast listeners. Oh no, they love it. No. I'm sorry, but they love it. <laughs> no, I would not do that. I would 100% reword that if I was having a real conversation with somebody who loved Fifty Shades of Grey. Yeah. This uh, dissenting opinion has nothing to do specifically with you saying that. It just reminded yeah. me. Because I see that in online comments a lot of mm. things that start with like, I'm sorry, you know, but. And obviously, you know, you have the. Right. opportunity to reword that right. in it's a like, comment. <laughs> exactly. It's like if you're in if you are in real life, if you're IRL and you're talking and maybe things are coming out and you're right. you need to be like, oh I'm sorry, let me rephrase that or whatever. But if you are typing on a keyboard before you press the submit button and you're typing the words, I'm sorry, B U T <laughs> you need to understand that at that moment you can change what you're about to say and you can say things that you don't need to be sorry about. Yeah. If you, it, yeah, are, if you true. are, and, you don't have to be controversial and I, in your opinion. Well, and I'm also saying that what comes after the I'm sorry, but you can still, I'm not saying you shouldn't say those things. I'm saying leave off the I'm sorry, but just right. say the thing. Yeah. You're not sorry about it. Quit lying. <laughs> you're just lying about the fact that you're sorry. You're not actually sorry. Uh, you're right. You just believe the thing. Just believe the you're thing. Right. I believe the thing. Also, um, the other phrase is, um, it's kind of the, it's basically a different version of I'm sorry, but is uh, I just have to say. Oh, yeah. Just like just starting like I just have to say blah, 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 blah. Like, oh, you have to. You say. have to say that. <laughs> did you have to say that? I don't think you did. I think you really wanted to say that. <laughs> and I think you knew the outcome that would come of you saying that. Yeah. But I don't think you had to say that. Yeah. You definitely hold that opinion. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> So we're learning here that all my strong opinions have to do with art. I think you much. have more than that, but those are the ones that came to your mind first. But I will say most all of your strong opinions do have to do with art. And I would say uh, something that leads us to um, marital bickering <laughs> would be whenever I have any sort of dissenting opinion of a piece of art that you enjoy. First of all, or, you come on strong. And so if you guys couldn't tell, Cody comes on strong in his opinions, which is fine. I just meet that, you know? I have to meet that with an equal strength. So I come on <laughs> strong as well. Also, if you're criticizing something that I feel like is art, <laughs> I'll argue it. For example, call me by your name. <laughs> That's the last thing I remember we got in like a real fight about was we went to see Call Me By Your Name. I loved that movie. I cried. It was beautiful. And 
Cody, on the way home, I asked him. And I, I stayed silent. You you did stay silent, but I knew that meant you didn't like it. Like, I, I already knew. And I was like, I'm sorry, but that <laughs> movie. <laughs> but you didn't just, like, say you disliked it, you know? After I said how much I loved it and what I loved about it, you were very strong in what you disliked. And so I felt the need to not only defend the movie, but defend myself because it was art. And (laughs) it was like a 20, we were like almost yelling at each other walking home (laughs) that night because I got so passionate about how beautiful it was. And you were like, it wasn't even in focus. (laughs) (laughs) And I was like, blurry things are beautiful. (laughs) And we were just, you know, fighting about it. Yeah, I do. That is most of our arguing. But you just come on so strong is the thing. But that's the thing, too, is that a lot of those things aren't even strong. Like, it'll just be a stupid, crappy movie on Netflix. And I will laugh because of how (laughs) bad the acting is. And you will, you, it's not that you get angry no it's that you get annoyed or you know whatever like you i would say i defend. It, it's more of yeah you you get defensive about a 12 percent rotten tomato movie <laughs> that is so bad it caused me to laugh not because it was funny now okay first of all that's a little bit of an exaggeration how because i don't defend 12 percent. i know when a movie is bad but i just enjoy it yeah, but you still defend it whenever I laugh at things, and you're no, like, "No, I don't." Okay. If we're laughing at it, I us- it's usually a movie I'm turning off. Okay, okay. let me give you a prime no, example. Listen, I, we're I, getting I will- in an argument on the podcast. I know. And and it this, I'm gonna I'm gonna throw this out there, and you're gonna realize all the wrong in the world. Oh my gosh. Okay. Riverdale. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but see, I'm gonna defend it because I know you are. Listen, I understand whatever <laughs> that you may not like it or whatever. I'm first not saying of all, it's terrible. First of all, let me just preface it by saying the first season was my favorite by far. The rest of the seasons are a little bit LOL, okay? I I understand they are not whatever. Anyways, I understand that. But <laughs> The problem, like making your case. Yes, because the problem I have with this is that anytime I turn on Riverdale and I'm watching an episode, I don't know how many times I've said, you do not have to watch this with me. Please stop laughing because it takes away from my experience. I don't care if you like it or dislike it. I just need you to stop laughing so that I can watch it. And what disagree. do you do? You sit down on the couch and watch it with me and laugh the, and make fun of it the whole time. And that's irritating because I'm just trying to enjoy a TV show. I you, That is 100% valid and I totally hear you. Thank you. But we live in a studio apartment where there's only one place to sit. <laughs> I know, but then just stop laughing. But that's the, it's not like I'm actively trying to. It's not like I'm watching and I'm like, I'm going to laugh at everything that is, you know, silly. Well, you, you could. Bad acting or whatever. It's you like, could. Put but your it's headphones like it, on and go sit it at just, your desk. It just happens to me, you know, and just like the thing happens and an involuntarily yeah. like uh, laugh about how fine. bad that thing was. Yeah. And then you get all defensive about Riverdale. Mostly, no. It's most, on the CW. Mostly I just get defensive because I've had the conversation with you about how I'd appreciate it if you quit laughing while I'm trying to watch something. You don't have to love it. It's fine. 
Maybe somebody out there feels the way that you do about reading mm-hmm. Fifty Shades of Grey, about watching Riverdale. Probably. But that's what I'm saying. Like, whenever it comes to watching stuff, I don't really have any um, standards. <laughs> you're, well, you do a little bit. Your you're standard, you don't have standards for nonfiction. Um, or you don't have standards for fiction. But whenever it comes to reality TV, basically, oh, yeah. there is, essentially, there is not You're a right. single reality TV You're show right. that would meet your standard of, I'm very strongly of something that you could consume. I'm very strongly opinionated about reality TV. You're <laughs> correct. Yep. I refuse to watch anything that's real life, in quotations, because it's yeah. not real life. Um, yeah, if it's a story of any sort, I'll, I have no... Almost no standards. If it's like it, if it's under again twelve or thirteen percent, I won't watch it. Really, <laughs> I, I won't even give it a try. I'll give it a try if it's in the teens, you know. And sometimes I'll turn it off because it's just crap. I do turn things off, um, but other than that, I really have no standards in what I watch, except for you're right, reality TV. I won't do it. I refuse. It's a waste of time. It is a waste of time. I also hold that same strong belief. And I also will leave you with uh, this. um, However, if you find entertainment from reality TV, you do you. I'm not judging over here. Yeah, you do you. But let me just leave you with this, that there is a study that was done that the most productive and the most high earning people among our population do not watch reality TV at all. Mm-hmm. And the least productive, least income earning group of people in our population watch the most reality TV. Yes. You can obviously be outside of those yes. statistics, but, but if trying you, to be in that first group, you know? Yeah. If <laughs> if you want, uh, you know, to be highly achieving, um, yeah. you know, person and up your income bracket. Just consider. Those who do not watch reality TV tend to be in that group. So there's that. I don't remember what book that was from. I read that in several years ago. Yeah, I read that several years ago. I think it was in a Seth Godin book. Mm-hmm. But don't quote me on that. Seth Godin is good. Yeah, that was I also maybe don't quote me on that at all. That that could just be something I made up. No, it was definitely in a book you told me about it. But I mean with uh Seth Godin, Cody Jensen. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Something, something or something, yeah, something or another um, said something at some point that I am recounting. Yes. We're not about facts here. (laughs) We're about, oh, it was something along these lines. (laughs) That's not true. We like facts. Don't quote me on that. (laughs) All right. Anyways, I'm just going back and forth on myself all day here. As usual. As usual. Listen, I have come... To accept the fact that I think a lot of things. So whatever. I um and I also accept the fact that I have the right to be wrong and my I hold all my strong opinions loosely. So anything that I say at any point, <laughs> even in a strong tone, <laughs> could be the exact opposite of what I'm gonna believe, you know, in a month from now. Yeah. But you know what? Right now, I believe it and I ain't sorry about it either. And we learned a lot about hippos. That's true. What a good podcast. All right. Well, if you want to be a part of what we're doing here and you want to help us keep consumerism out of art, 
and you just want to support the art that you love. Yeah. Help us do that by joining the Jensen AV Club over at jensenav.club. The link is in the show notes. The link is in the video description. And we will be posting exclusive behind-the-scenes, exclusive content. Sarah will be putting out a monthly newsletter with a bunch of... uh, Just different thoughts and um, maybe uh, opinions or reasons why we chose to talk about what we talked about or maybe more... um, in-depth discussion of what we talked about poems whatever that kind of stuff yeah. uh monthly q a live stream with people of the jensen av club also bonus content from things that maybe were cut out of vlogs or cut out of the podcast things like that and also you can become an official producer of the deeply curious podcast and our youtube channel and whenever you join the producer tier At the beginning of every single podcast and at the end of every single video, we will say your name on the show and print your name on the credits of the video saying that this show is produced by your name here. Yes. You can also sign up for the top level of the club, the director level, and that will give you one-on-one, one-hour consulting slash coaching sessions with either myself or with the (laughs) ever-smart Incredible. Okay. Capable. Yeah. <laughs> Wife of mine, Sarah. Uh, that's me. <laughs> <laughs> you as kind, yeah. you as smart, and you as important. Yep. And you're worth a one hour session. Whoa. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes it goes longer than one hour. Stop it. What? What are you doing? I'm just talking just about in coaching. The, in the podcast. I'm talking about coaching. Okay. The look on your face was not about coaching. The look on your okay. face is not about Stop. coaching. In the podcast. Do you have a coaching session available this evening? Thanks for listening, guys. To this podcast. We <laughs> will see you next week. Bye. Bye.